the reading this evening is 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold towards you when away. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. You are judging by appearances. If anyone is confident that they belong to Christ, they should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as they do. So even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than tearing you down, I will not be ashamed of it. I do not want to seem to be trying to frighten you with my letters, for some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he's unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Such people should realise that what we are in our letters when we are absent, we will be in our actions when we are present. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. We, however will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us, a sphere that also includes you. We are not going too far in our boasting, as would be the case if we had not come to you, for we did get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. Neither do we go beyond our limits, by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. For we do not want to boast about work already done in someone else's territory, but let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you very much, Ray, for reading. Evening, everybody. It's lovely to see you, and um, particularly uh, lovely to see a number who I haven't met before. Um, my name's Josh, and uh, I'm on the staff team here at St. Ebbs, and if we haven't met, uh, the question I'm going to begin with is going to sound a little bit weird, um, because I'd like to ask you this question, would you trust me with your money? 
I thought it was going to sound a weird question, and it really did, as I was saying it, so sorry for that. But that's the question, would you trust me with your money? And the reason I'm asking you that is that I think at this point in 2 Corinthians that we're just jumping into, jumping back into, that is the question. Uh, We're coming back into this letter after a little while away from it, and um, I don't know if you remember very much of 2 Corinthians from the last time that we looked at it, but uh, the rough kind of backstory is that the Apostle Paul, uh, who wrote the letter, had founded this church in Corinth, and there's a lot that's going really well about the church. They are right up for living as Christians, and Paul thinks that's great, but They've had one or two problems, as every church does, and the most recent problem they've had is that um, a group of Christian leaders have moved in, and Paul calls them the super apostles. I don't know whether they called themselves that. I sort of think they might have done, actually, Uh, but he calls them the super apostles, and they are amazing. Um, They're they're so impressive. They they look the part, strong-jawed and great teeth and uh, permatan and that sort of thing and like the way that they do Christian ministry is amazing their preaching is engaging and funny and powerful and persuasive and they lead the Corinthians in in some really exciting spiritual experiences and they say stuff like you can be a Christian without being weird about it Paul he kind of whitters on about repentance and what you should and shouldn't do with your body and serving other people and blah, blah, blah. And the Corinthians are hearing this and thinking, I quite like this. It just, it just, it just feels more interesting than, than the stuff that Paul used to major on, the, the cross and Jesus being Lord and needing to live for him and all that. I kind of prefer this stuff that we're getting from the super apostles. And so Paul has written them this letter to Corinthians saying, guys, you need to trust me. You, you really need to be about the kind of Christianity that I'm all about. The weak-looking and, and, and humble and the kind of Christianity that keeps on turning away from sin and turning towards Jesus. So he said a few times in the letter, things like, open wide your heart to me. And what he means by that, I think, is something like, trust me. One aspect of that is what they do with their money. And that's why he spent chapters 8 and 9 talking about giving and what they do with their money. I don't know if you remember those chapters, but really focus on that issue of what they do with their money. And so now, now that he said that, the question is, why should they trust Paul? Why should they trust him with their money? Why should they trust and support him and not the super apostles who do it all so well? That's some of what this passage is going to help us to think about. And I think that we should really care about this. It's an argument and dispute from a long way away, a long time ago. But we should really care about this because all of us who are Christians are being asked to trust Christian leaders. Yes, with our money. And with our attention. uh, With our kids. It's a huge amount of trust to place in Christian leaders. And by and large, the world outside of church is telling us you shouldn't really trust Christian leaders because because what are they really after? What if they're just exploiting you for your money? What if they're really just narcissists who want your attention or something darker still? What if all of the God stuff is just cover? What's the hidden agenda? On top of that, quite a lot of us in one way or another 
are Christian leaders in some sense, small group leaders, perhaps uh, helping out with, with kids' clubs, uh, occasional preachers helping to look out for people after the service. What would it look like for you to be the kind of Christian leader who people ought to trust? And all of us, insofar as we count St. Ebbs as our church, are part of a church. And so what would it look like for us to play our part in making this the kind of church that people ought to trust? In the end, I think it comes down to two things. What are we trying to achieve? And how are we trying to achieve it? In other words, what do we want and what are we prepared to do to get it? And in this passage, Paul is, is going to lay all of his cards on the table and he's going to say, this is what I want and this is what I'm doing to get it. Here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm aiming for. Will you trust me? So that's what we're going to hear him say over the next few minutes. Those two questions. What's Paul doing and what's Paul aiming for? So first one, what is Paul doing? And we're looking at verse 1 to 11. And maybe you noticed when uh, Ray was reading it, the sort of repeated idea, the repeated thing in the passage is weaponry. That strike you as weird when it was being read? Weaponry. So uh, have a look at verse 3. We, we do not wage war as the world does, halfway through verse 3. Uh, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Uh, Glenn is really good at bringing kind of visual aid illustrations to show you. And I thought about, should I do this for this passage? And I thought, well, if I bump into any police officers on the way, that's going to take some explaining. So you just imagine, imagine weaponry. What are Paul's weapons? Now, obviously, we're not talking about knives and Kalashnikovs or whatever it is. Um, we're talking about what are the tools that he uses to do what he does. It seems as though the super apostles have been mocking Paul a little bit. So uh, have a look at verse 10. Uh, for some, I assume that's the super apostles, some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he's unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. So the accusation is that Paul is a little bit of a keyboard warrior. Do you know what I mean by that? He's, he's the kind of person who will sit in his pajamas on Twitter, uh, sort of slagging people off and sounding very clever. But if you ever actually met him in person, he kind of trips over his words and he doesn't look you in the eye and that kind of thing. That's the accusation of Paul. And that's, uh, that's a problem because, as we've said, we love a leader who looks the part. We love a leader who can hold a room and... Just the kind of person people instinctively want to go for a beer with. The way that most people think that the weapons that a good leader needs are things like the ability to speak really well and, and compellingly and capture people's imagination. They need the weapons of charm and charisma and, and being really clever and drive and all those sorts of things. And those things are, by a mile, the best weapons to use if you want to win a following for yourself. You want to be remembered and have followers and subscribers and admirers. Sometimes even churches really just want bums on seats, numbers, money in the bank. Sometimes even Christian leaders just want their names to be known and influence. And if that's what we want, then these things are by far the best weapons to use. And the thing is that people trust Christian leaders like that all the time because that feels like success. 
But Paul's saying here, he is not even trying to do the charming, intellectual, impressive, powerful thing. End of uh, verse 2. He's saying, I'm not, I'm not living by the standards of this world. He goes on, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. Charm, intellect, all that stuff, they are not Paul's weapons. Why? Because he's fighting a different war. He's not interested in fame, greatness, money. He's interested, as God is interested, in people's hearts. That is, he wants people to come to a place where they love God and where all of their thoughts and every aspect of their lives is is devoted to him. That's what he wants. He said that again and again throughout this letter, actually. It's people's hearts that he's fighting for. I think that's what he means by strongholds in verse 4. Do you see there the final word of verse 4? Strongholds. Saying that people's hearts are like strongholds. Um, We went on a camping holiday in Northumberland this summer. And as far as I can tell, there are three things in Northumberland. There are beaches, there are castles, and there is rain. And um, uh, we experienced all of them. And you kind of look around these castles and lots of them are ruined and things like that. But still, in the middle, there's this great stronghold keep and the walls are feet thick and it's portcullises and it's all the rest um, impressive sturdy designed to keep people out and people's hearts are like that because verse 5 we set up arguments and pretensions to keep out above all god put all sorts of defenses up around our hearts to sort of keep God out. But Paul says he has got a weapon that can lay siege to a human heart and bring it to a point where people love Jesus and where all of their thoughts are obedient to him. What are his weapons? Well, verse 4 says that they have divine power. And, And that's a really important clue. I wonder if you wouldn't mind, very briefly, just flicking back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 with me, which is page uh, 1144. Keep a finger if, if you've got enough fingers in, the, in 2 Corinthians 10, but come back to 1 Corinthians 4.4. And this is Paul writing to the, the same people a little bit earlier. And uh, he, well, there's a few verses we could look at in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, but have a look down to verse 22. Jews demand signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. There's the weapons of the world, two of. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. What is the thing that carries divine power It is the message of Christ crucified, the message of the cross. Okay, come back to 2 Corinthians 10. The weapon that Paul uses is the message of the cross, the good news that God has come into the world in his son. And rather than coming with power and impressiveness and force and kind of forcing results from people, 
He's come to die, to suffer, to take on himself the punishment that each of us deserves. That is the weapon that Paul wields. He tells them about Jesus, and then he lives it out. If you want to impress people, that's a rubbish weapon. If you want bombs on seats, rubbish weapon. But if what you want is for people to take off their pride and open the stronghold of their hearts to God, if what you want is for all of people's thoughts to be devoted to Jesus, it's the only weapon that's up to the job. Don Carson comments, argue a skeptic into a corner and you will not take his mind captive for Christ. But pray for him, proclaim the gospel to him, live out the gospel of peace, walk righteously by faith, and you may discover that the power of the truth shatters his reason and demolishes his arguments, and that the drawbridge of his heart is at last lowered, that the humble and gentle king may come in to reign. Paul's cards are on the table. This is what he does. He says, the reason you don't find me super impressive, Corinthians, is that I am not trying to be. I'm not trying to impress you or manipulate you or bash you into submission. I'm trying to preach the message of the cross to you. Because that is the only weapon that can bring a human heart to love God. There'll be some here this evening who've just moved to Oxford, uh, looking perhaps for a new church. There'll be others here this evening soon to be moving on from Oxford to new places Throw your weight and your trust behind a church that wields the message of the cross, where that's their great tool. And the massive privilege of being in Oxford is that there are lots of churches um, where, where that is what they do. Not that they don't do other things well too, but where their great focus is, is sharing the message of the cross so that people's hearts are one. That's, that's the kind of thing to back and to trust. And then those of us who are involved in Christian leadership, small groups, helping with kids' work, whatever it is. The really good news of these verses is that we don't have to try to be super impressive, forceful, uh, really clever. We just have to try and make it so that our group is all about sharing the message of the cross with each other so that stronghold walls come down. So how does Paul do his ministry? What's his weapon? He holds out the message of the cross. That's the kind of ministry to trust. How does he do it? Second question then, what's he aiming at? And we're looking at verse 12 to 18, and the key repeated thing here stops being weapons and starts being boasting. It's kind of weird, isn't it? The two main things Paul's talking about here, the two main things we're talking about this evening, weapons and boasting in church. But there you go, that's what he says. Verse 13, he says, we will not boast beyond our proper limits. Verse 14, we're not going too far in our boasting. And then pretty much every verse after that talks about boasting. Well, what has that got to do with what Paul is aiming at? Well, think about it for a second. What what are the things that you boast about? What, What do you hear other people boast about? We were at a wedding recently, and the speech, there was great speeches at this wedding. Um, but wedding speeches, in a really nice way, contain quite a lot of boasting. 
not in a bad way, not bragging, but just kind of celebrating and making a lot of the things that we think are really important about people. So, you know, father of the bride will talk about her achievements at school and she's always been so kind and thoughtful and she really takes after her mother and everyone goes, oh, that's so lovely. Um, it's boasting in a good way, saying th these are the things that we value and appreciate and aim for in life. Keep an eye out, by the way, for this idea of boasting because we're going to see a lot of it over the next few weeks in the end of 2 Corinthians. Paul is going to say weird things about boasting. He'll say things like, I boast in the things that show my weakness. Ever heard anybody boast in something like that? But this is a massive question in whether we're to trust Paul, whether we're to trust a Christian leader. What do they boast in? What, what do they value and aim for and really want? And it's going to help us again to see the contrast between Paul and the super apostles that we've heard about. Um, remember, Paul has founded this church in Corinth that is, he, he came into a city where there weren't any Christians, and um, he preached the gospel, and some people became Christians, and then he started this church. And then, it seems a little bit later on, super apostles moved in, and they started claiming credit for, for all of that stuff. So it might be that they started another more impressive church just down the road. Um, it may be that they just kind of moved in and took over the original one, and then they kind of patted themselves on the back for building such an excellent church. Verse 15, I think this is what Paul means in verse 15, where he says that they go beyond their limits by boasting of work done by others. So they're a bit like um, the football manager who uh, comes in to take over the club right at the end of the season, wins a trophy, and then kind of takes credit for all the hard work that the previous manager had done in, the, in building the team. It's that kind of thing. In other words, they really love being able to say things like, loads of people come to our church, and loads of really impressive people at that, the sort of people you really want to be spending time with. Uh, Paul, on the other hand, is aiming at something really, really different. Verse 13, he says that he's not aiming at other people's territory. I feel like I want to be slightly careful about this because there's a principle here that could be pushed a bit too far, but quite often you hear about a church that's really taking off and growing. And the church says, yes, look, we're growing. Look at the stats and stuff. But really what's happening is just that Christians are moving from another church to that one. And there might be lots of really good reasons for that, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. And um, I hope that lots of Christians will move to St. Ebbs from other churches this month as they move to Oxford. And if that's you, you are extremely welcome. But it isn't what we are aiming at or boasting in or celebrating Verse 15, here is what Paul is aiming at. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand, here's the key bit, so that we can preach the gospel in regions beyond you. There's his ultimate aim and his ultimate boast. It's taking the good news of, about Jesus to people who don't know it yet. That's what we're aiming for, he says. That's what we're aiming for, I hope. Not just having loads of people, but finding people who don't know Jesus and telling them about him. Do you remember Jesus' parable of the lost sheep? Got a well-known story that Jesus told. And he tells the story of a shepherd who's got 100 sheep and one is missing. 
And I think in that situation, the super apostles would, would take, be saying something like, yeah, but 99 sheep is pretty good. And, you know, the guy, McDonald down the road has only got 64 sheep, and my 99 are great, and, you know, they're very well looked after, and we're going to win the county show, not worried. But do you remember what God did in the story? Left the 99 to go and find the missing one. And the Apostle Paul says, my ministry is all about finding the lost and bringing them home. Not just having loads of sheep, but finding lost ones. I think this is a challenge to us. It's a massive challenge to me. Will you, will I, will we have our eyes always on the regions beyond? Not that, you know, we all need to leave Oxford, something I just got here, but not that, not that we need to leave Oxford and move somewhere else. There are over 150,000 people live in this city and hardly any of them know about Jesus. And by the way, that's why it's not a problem to have more than one church close together, as long as both of those churches are thinking, not we want to get as many of the Christians as we can, but thinking we want to reach as many of the non-Christians as we can. It doesn't mean we need to leave Oxford, but it does mean we need to be thinking, how, how, can, I, how can I be involved in, in taking the gospel to people who don't know it yet? And then the thing that we'll really celebrate, the thing that we'll really boast about, is not loads of people coming to Ebbs. It's an Ebbs really buzzing and all of that. The thing that we'll celebrate and boast in is Somebody who didn't know about Jesus just heard about him. Say we don't need to leave Oxford, and that's true. I hope there might be some amongst us prepared to think about that. Plenty of people in Oxford who don't know Jesus, but plenty more in other places. A friend of mine is um, now one of our overseas partner, partners, actually, but it was in, in thinking about this verse, 2 Corinthians 10, 16, and thinking about the regions beyond and all of the people who hadn't been reached by the good news of Jesus in other places, and he had a particular place on his heart, and it was thinking about this verse and that place, he decided he wanted to go there um, so that he could tell people about Jesus. I hope that's the kind of thing some of us might think about. But above all of that, Paul boasts in, celebrates, values something else. Verse 17. Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Where's the power? What matters the most? What are we aiming for more than anything else? The Lord and his verdict above all. So maybe in your life you'll manage to tell loads of people the good news about what Jesus has done. Or maybe you won't. But in the end there'll be one verdict, one measurement that matters and that will be what God says about you. So there you go, Paul's cards are on the table. Here's what he does, uh, here's what he values. Uh, he, what he does is he, just, he tells people about the message of Jesus' death on the cross. Doesn't look like much, but it's got divine power to lay siege to people's hearts. And here's what he's, what he's aiming for and boasting in. Getting the gospel further and further and further to places that it hasn't been before. Let me suggest, that is the kind of ministry to trust even with your money. We at St. Ebbs. Let's be that kind of a church, shall we? And by the way, if ever you think that we're losing focus on either of those things, that is a problem. Um, hold 
your leaders to a catalyst. I hope I'm not creating trouble for Glenn here, but nothing would give Glenn greater joy than to hear somebody say, I, Glenn, I think there's something more we could be doing to reach people in Oxford who don't know Jesus. That's exactly the kind of thing we want to focus on and keep aiming for more and more. The gospel of Jesus getting deeper into people's hearts so that it can go wider uh, to new people. So in your own life and in your small group, if you're part of one, let this be the thing that you celebrate the most. By the way, just as we finish, um, it may be that you're here and you're not a Christian. And in that case, thank you so much for being here. We're really, really pleased that you are. And we want you to know this. With the cards on the table, this is what we're hoping for. Um, not, not kind of to have you so that when we count up our numbers, we can see, oh, it's one more person. Well done us. We've got another person. Not, not to get you to behave in Christian ways. That's not what Christians are interested in. We want to tell you about the cross and all that it means and then pray that it would capture your heart. But in the end, we are all about this and Paul was all about this because Jesus is all about this. Jesus owns the world. He's got all the power. Think of all of the weapons that Jesus could have used as he came into the world, to get us to do what he wanted us to do. He could have done literally anything. When he was arrested on the night before he died in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said that he could have called on an army of angels to help him out. But he didn't do it, and he never did it. Instead, what did he do? What was his great weapon to save the world? It was the cross. Because only by taking on himself the sin that lives in our hearts... Could he save us? And what was his focus on? What, what, does, what does Jesus celebrate and boast in? Well, it certainly wasn't gathering the religious people. That wasn't what Jesus was interested in. Now, he said at the end of the parable of the lost sheep, there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people. So the message of the cross is our weapon because the cross is heaven's weapon. And the gospel going further and further and further is the thing that we boast in because it is the thing that heaven rejoices in, even today. And so Paul says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Brief moment of quiet, and then I'll lead us in prayer. Father, thank you so much that when you sent your son into the world, he came to die. That his great weapon was not anything that it could have been, but was the cross out of love for our sake. And his great priority was the lost, so that even people like us could know you and know your love. And we pray more and more that you would help us to shape our lives and our church life around those great priorities and to back with all our hearts ministry that does the same. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.